I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible handy, there should be some on the ends of the pew nearby. You can nudge the person next to you and ask them to pass one along. We'll be looking at a few passages this morning, starting with John chapter 19. Uh, John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll look at chapter 19, verses 38 and following in just a minute. But let me say these words for first, because in a sense, the passage that we're going to look at this morning uh, scarcely needs an introduction. Uh, most of us, probably in our society, are generally familiar with the biblical reality that uh, Jesus came into the world, that he displayed himself as both God and man, that he worked uh, miraculous workings, that he spoke about the kingdom of God, that he was sentenced and died on a cross, condemned as a criminal, and that the Bible teaches that he rose again on the third day, rose to new life, showing that he had conquered death. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. So the the question for us today is not primarily does the Bible teach about the resurrection. I suppose we can find uh, somebody with a few letters before their name and a few letters after their name to come up with some sort of speculation otherwise, but it takes an awful lot of theological gymnastics to bend ourselves around that idea. The message of the Bible is pretty straightforward, that in time and space, the God-man, Jesus, came and did these things and offered himself up and was resurrected. Nor, Nor is the question really, I think, for us today primarily whether the resurrection happened. Uh, We, again, may wonder about that because it's a monumental question. It's certainly worthy of investigation for those who might be here and have questions about it. But for me, the most compelling answer to that is found just in looking at Jesus' apostles themselves, with the exception of Judas and John, whose book we're going to read in just a minute, uh, all the other apostles are recorded as having died Uh, some of them in incredibly horrific ways, for believing in something. Now, you might say, well, people do die for things that they believe. That doesn't make them true. But the disciples, the apostles, if they were dying for this resurrection idea, they would have been the ones on the scene. They would have been the ones who were coming up with the idea and would have known then that it was just a charade, that it was just a farce. Every now and then someone will die for a lie, but very rarely will someone die for a, a lie that they know is a lie. And almost nobody would die for a lie that they knew was a lie, and then they know is not going to profit them one thing at all. If it's a charade, why give their lives for it? And yet, it's actually the opposite that we see. And so it's so much more easy to believe, really, in the truth and the reality of the resurrection when we think about the fact that not one, just one apostle gave his life for this truth of the resurrection, but all of them essentially did. It's a powerful testimony about the truth of what we read in the Scriptures. Those aren't the main 
questions this morning then, whether the Bible teach it, teaches it or did it happen. I think the main question for us, and I hope that we'll receive in a deep place this morning, deep in our soul, in our life, is what does this resurrection mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it look like to experience the transforming power of Jesus and to grow in that power that's displayed in His resurrection? The fact of the resurrection requires a response. It requires some sort of reaction. It's certainly, uh, others have said, not written merely the Bible for our information, nor is it even really written just for our inspiration. It's written for our transformation, for us to be changed by it. And it's not even that we would simply be changed by some idea or some spiritual reality of resurrection, of eternal life. It's Jesus himself that we meet and that we have an opportunity to encounter today. It's Jesus, as we read earlier in our service, that says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live and will not die. With that in mind, I invite you to take a look with me at John chapter 19, verse 38 is where I'll begin. And we're following up just right after Jesus has been crucified and has been confirmed dead. And listen to these characters and listen to how they begin to interact with the reality of the resurrection as I read this aloud and you read along silently with me. John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away the body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon, and Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John he's talking about, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and another at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and in Aramaic said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Pray with me again. Oh, Father, we praise you for your word and the testimony it gives to us of this life-changing reality of the resurrection. We ask that you administer the reality of it to our hearts now as we spend time considering what your word says. Be with me. Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of the time in life, if we're wrestling with a difficult challenge or trying to cross over into some new place, it helps a lot to have somebody who's gone before us, gone before the way, and can inspire us, can show us that the path can be followed. Gives us hope, helps us believe that it can take place. Well, our family earlier this last week had the privilege, myself, my wife, and our four boys who are age 10 to 4, of going up and spending some spring break time at the Davy Crockett State Park in the beautiful state of Tennessee. And the only thing that was really lacking from the spring break trip was the spring. It was about 28 degrees when we rolled in blistering wind chill and it was snowing this continued on into really the first full day that we were up there so uh, naturally we were inclined since we wanted to go fishing the boys and I to rent a boat what else would you do but get out on some open water in such conditions well it turns out that $12 a day doesn't really rent you the Bassmaster 2000 with a 300 horsepower engine or a fishing sonar detector uh, we got a couple of paddles, we got a boat that I think had some World War II insignia on it, and if you wanted to detect a fish, you could look out the boat, and if one jumped out of the water, you, you could see it, you could detect it. To add to our weather and our nautical limitations, uh, the fishing outfitter, the guide, dear old dad, wasn't the best to have around. I give myself a decent rating in the athletic realm, even hunting and camping, but fishing, maybe a solid C+. Plus, maybe a solid C+. Plus. 
So day one, the boys were out there with their winter hats and winter gloves, shivering and attempting to hook something, not a bite. Day two, they were so discouraged that I even splurged $7.86 in a trip to the local bait shop for not one, but two dozen minnows and the styrofoam bucket to go along with it. Still not a bite. By the third morning, we were really getting ready to leave. And the only one, although he was discouraged, that was still out there at least trying was our oldest. The other boys were up in the cabin, removed from the lake a bit. Their rod and reels put up for the trip. They were done. Until they heard brother shout, I got one. I got one. And I'm not sure which rose up faster, the boys coming out of the cabins with their rod and reels in hand, or that monstrous eight-inch bass coming up out of the lake. But I'll tell you this, I couldn't put minnows on hooks fast enough after that happened. I don't know how appropriate it is to use the likes of Zebco to illustrate spiritual realities But Jesus used a few fishing realities to illustrate spiritual truths. So I think we can get away with it today. After days of trying, facing rough weather, poor boating equipment, bad outfitter and guide, the boys no longer really believed, were really living in the reality and the belief that there were any fish that could be pulled up out of that lake they needed someone to break through all the tangled lines and the poor weather and show that this could happen that there could actually be a fish that came out and when they saw it they were motivated they were excited they were engaged jesus shows us in the scripture doesn't just show us but does for us what we could never do. Raising Himself up and teaching us and showing us that we don't need to walk in hopelessness. We don't need to walk in discouragement. We can walk in belief that there is a resurrection to have in eternal life. There's a resurrected life to live now. He's the brother that goes before us. It says so in Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Romans 8, 29 says, He's the firstborn among many brothers. He's going before us. He's charting the path that we can't chart without Him. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two says, For as in Adam all die, that's our lot, Outside of the work of Christ, it says, so also Christ shall be made alive. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. He's the the initial plant, the initial blossoming. He's the first fish to be brought in. He shows us that it can happen. And in John 14, verse 19, Jesus says this, yet a little while. And the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 
Jesus accomplished the resurrection. And so we can live in His resurrection power today and into eternity. Look with me back at the John passage if you've got your Bible handy or just reflect on what we read a few minutes ago. Because I want you to see this, this thing isn't just for some select group of people or some particularly spiritual-minded individuals or some folks that just have a sense of greater need for some kind of spiritual influence. Look at the cadre of people that encounter Jesus, are touched and transformed by his life. You got Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We can kind of put them in the same batch. It tells us here that Joseph is coming secretly. He's interested in some of what Jesus has to offer. He's seen, he's noticed something about him, but he's not quite ready to jump all the way in. He's he's just investigating it. Nicodemus, we know, did the same thing back in John chapter 3. The famous verses that uh, appear at many football games, John 3, 16. We shall not perish but have everlasting life who believe in him. Those come right after Nicodemus has snuck in at night. Doesn't want anybody to know about it. But he wants to know about Jesus. And he wants to ask him about what it means to have spiritual life. And Jesus tells him, guess what, Nicodemus? This ain't something that you can manufacture on your own. You can't get there in your own power. You can't be good enough. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Only the Spirit can give birth to Spirit. He's telling Nicodemus ahead of time what he's going to do. That he's going to do something of a resurrection caliber that can change us from the inside in ways we cannot change ourselves. So you got Joseph and you've got Nicodemus and then Peter and John come on the scene. It's interesting, you know, John was the one that lived so long and his, his writings come about later on because he was really young when he was a disciple, maybe in his teenage years even. And Peter, of course, was a little bit older. And we can see here in our passage, Peter's getting winded, right? <laughs> John's outpaced him to the tomb. But John, I guess, defers a bit, wait for the elder to get there and let him go in and check the scene out. John's the only one that it tells us believed at that point. These weren't folks that were looking to create something either. Again, I'll point out, they don't believe till they, till they see the tomb, till they see the evidence that it's empty. And, and you say, well, I, I want to see some evidence. Well, look over the shoulders of these apostles, these disciples. Look over the shoulder of Mary and see what they saw and testified to. The resurrection of Jesus. Peter, we know, goodness, he was a... He was quite a fellow to follow up with on a high at this moment and just going full tilt for the Lord. And at other points, you couldn't mess up worse than he could. He's the one that denied Jesus three times. And later we'll see Jesus' beautiful restoration of him. Mary Magdalene, you know, the fact is in biblical times, woman, women were not given very high status. That Jesus had Mary with him most of the way that he traveled. He honored her. He respected her. She's the one that really gets to interact with him. She's hanging out. She's still trying again. Look at her. She wants to know what happened to the body. Did the gardener even haul him off? I just want to find him. I'm just concerned about his body. Then she sees him. Then he speaks her name. Just as Jesus speaks our name and says, I'm here. I am risen 
believe in me and your life will be transformed. He puts it this way. My father will be your father, my God, your God. It's a beautiful thing to be able to have a vibrant, saving relationship with the one who made us, with the one to whom we owe our lives, and with the one who holds eternity in his hands. That's what Jesus does for us. The Scriptures present some bad news, really, before we can fully grasp the good news of the resurrection. And I want to close talking about that for a moment. John chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. How do we do good in the spiritual sense? Jesus says he came for us. He offers up his life for us. He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. And yes, we're expected and, and desired to respond to that resurrection in a changed and transformed life. This is the bad news is that there is another path. There is another direction. If we do not embrace the resurrection, if we don't embrace that reality, there is no reason for us to have hope and joy today. Because everlasting life comes through Christ, through His resurrection work. That's not a popular message today, but it's the truth of the Scriptures, and Jesus lays it out before us. Because... There's no other way to come. He's provided the way. He's provided all that we need. And to look at it and to shun it and to put it off to the side is to say, I don't really value that. I don't really recognize the beauty and the power of it. Jesus says he's come to bring that salvation that we all need. And it's tough. It's tough to accept a gift, isn't it, sometimes? We had... Some friends, some folks from the church here actually last night stopped by to bring us some little gifts for the, the boys that they had. And uh, I'm sure they would say, oh, it's not much, it's no big deal. But, you know, when you get a gift, any kind of gift, you, you kind of want to be able to give something back. It's hard to just receive something, isn't it? Why? You ever thought about that? Why it's hard? Why we always feel like if someone gives me this Christmas gift, I've got to go get them something even if I didn't get them something before. Why do I feel like I have to do that? Because it's an assault to our pride to realize we're really needy, that we really needed someone to help us or that someone could bless us and maybe we don't have something to give right back to them. Jesus' gift in some ways is the greatest assault to our pride. To come before us and say, you need a whole transformed life. You don't just need a few trinkets here or this there. You need a whole transformed life. That's a hard thing on the surface to swallow. But it's a beautiful thing to recognize that we can have it, that we can receive it, and it is given to us freely by Him. Well, folks, the bad news does have to come first. 
we've got to rea- realize that the, the weather's cold out there on the Tennessee State Park Lake. We've got to realize that the fish aren't biting. And we've tried to throw this lure over here and we've tried to throw that one over there. And we've got to realize at some point that even our equipment in this life isn't holding up so well. It's kind of flimsy. It's a couple of oars in a really old John boat. And we've also got to realize that the outfitters, the voices, the messages that come to us from this life, even from those around us that are well-meeting, aren't really going to be able to help us. we got lots of information, don't we, coming into our lives. Lots of people that could be outfitters, sort of guides for us. We've got our physical fitness person. We've got our financial person. We've got our tax person probably this time. You've got your lawn care, maybe an interior direct decorator. You have people that are giving you insight and are experts, and that's a good thing. We've got information coming everywhere, Twitter, Facebook. All of us probably have some little app on our phone with the latest news story. We've got plenty of information coming in, people speaking to us. But the only one that speaks ultimate truth, that speaks life-transforming truth, is Jesus, who's proven not only that he's conquered death, not only that he loves us tremendously, but that he's worthy for us to listen to because of all that he has done for us. So we're invited, as I said earlier, to consider how will we respond to this resurrection? How will that transform what we begin to do even tomorrow? How will that transform what we begin to do on Sundays going forward? How will that transform our lives and and allow us to see the beauty of surrendering to Him and serving others around us, beginning to gather with others who know Him, who can encourage us in that walk? These are all ways that He invites us to respond and, of course, to respond simply with the ability to walk through each day filled with tremendous joy, filled with tremendous hope that Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do give you praise and worship that you have not left us in darkness. Lord, you haven't left us in the hopelessness of our own condition or the wandering of our souls away from you and turning to many things of this life to find our sufficiency in our life. But instead, you have broken in to human reality and done what could be done by no other and offered this gift of eternal life, of a resurrected life now, to us. Oh Lord, we do not deserve it and we praise you and thank you for bringing it to us. Open our hearts to receive it, perhaps for some here today to receive it for the first time. Open our hearts who have received it to embrace it more and live it out more fully, to put our hope in you. Oh Lord, our gracious God and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.